If you have a Bible, then turn with me, or a Bible app on your phone, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I'll be reading verses 1 through 30, but this morning we're going to spend our time specifically in verses 24 through 30. Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 30. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Whose feet do you need to wash? Whose feet do you need to wash? Who do you need to extend grace to? Just think on on that question for a moment. Whose feet do you need to wash? Who, Who do you need to extend grace to? Luke chapter 22, Luke the writer records for us Jesus' final moments before his crucifixion and resurrection And we pick it up here in Luke chapter 22. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of the crowd. Verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they replied to Jesus, Well, where will you have us prepare it? Jesus says, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters until the master of the house, the teacher, says to you, Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And that man's going to show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as Jesus had told them, and they prepared the Passover, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of this vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold... The hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus says to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Jesus then says, but I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel." Pray with me. Father, we welcome you into this space this morning. You are here. We thank you for meeting with us. 
And I pray now that as we open up the truth of your word, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would speak to our hearts this morning. We believe you will. Lord, we pray that um, you would just take this truth and you would use it to reveal your grace to us um, and reveal yourself to us this morning. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. A little bit of a setting here to what's going on in the situation. Jesus is here in this upper room in a Jewish home in a private room with his disciples. And he announces to his disciples that there's a Benedict Arnold in the group. There's a traitor, right? One of them that's sitting at this table. Imagine a U-shooped table. Jesus is at the head. Judas and John are on either side of him. And the rest of the disciples fan out on the other ends of the table. And Jesus, during dinner, announces to these guys that there's a Benedict Arnold. There's a traitor. One of them is going to betray him. And immediately the disciples are like, is it me? Is it, is it, is it, am I the one that's going to be the, am I, am I the Benedict Arnold of the group? Am I the, am I the traitor? And I don't know how the conversation shifts, but it shifts from that conversation, the disciples arguing who's the traitor, to the, our, the disciples having a debate on who's the greatest. I, I'm not quite sure how it transitioned, but it did. Right? It went from which one of us is going to betray Jesus to who's going to get to sit up front with Jesus when he drives over Rome and brings in his new kingdom. Who gets to sit up front? Which one of us is the one that gets to sit up front with dad, if you will? Who's going to be there with Jesus when he, when he brings in his kingdom? And so the conversation shifts from who's the traitor to I'm the greatest. I'm, I should get to sit up front because he called me first. Right? Well, I, or maybe the conversation was, well, I have the most crazy story of how Jesus followed, how Jesus chose me, so I, I should get to sit up front. So it goes from this, this conversation of who's the traitor to who's the greatest. And Jesus is going to enter into this conversation. He's going to enter into this great debate that his disciples are having. And I want to set it up that way, and then I want to transition, and I want us to think on this whole life of following Jesus. You know, I was thinking about it, you know, following Jesus is not jelly beans, giggles, and lollipops. It's not. And if you've been following Jesus for any period of time, then you get that. You know that following Jesus is difficult. It's hard. Following Jesus often does not bring to you your best life. In some ways, following Jesus involves suffering. It involves pain. It involves discouragement. It involves suffering. And if you've been a follower of Jesus, and some of you understand that because as you follow Jesus, you've lost family relationships as a result of that. You've lost friendships as a result of that. It, because you're a follower of Jesus, in some ways people don't understand you. They misunderstand you and it's left you discouraged because you're a follower of Jesus. And for many of us, if we're honest, following Jesus looks a lot different than what we thought it might. A lot different than what we thought it might look. And following Jesus is hard and Jesus knows that following him is not a bed of roses. He gets that. And so here these disciples are having this argument, argument about who's the greatest. And here Jesus has already told them he's going to suffer. He's 24 hours from the cross, 72 hours or so from his resurrection. And he enters into this conversation because he wants to prepare them for life after Easter. He wants to prepare his disciples for what life is going to be like and how they follow him once Easter is past. 
He wants to prepare them for resurrection living. And so he enters into this debate that they're having about who's the greatest. And he's moments away from his death. He's moments away from Easter Sunday, his own Easter Sunday. And he jumps into this argument and he prepares them for life after Easter. And what is interesting to me is how Jesus prepares them, what he teaches them to prepare them for following him. And what he teaches them here is something very interesting. Jesus finds it intentional and he finds it important to redefine greatness for his disciples. The road to resurrection for Jesus involved him redefining greatness for his disciples. And this morning, I want us to just look at the redefinition that Jesus gives to greatness, the reason for why he tells them this definition of greatness, the strength for us living it out, and then I want to challenge us at the end. So let's take a look at this a little bit. First, how does Jesus define greatness? Well, look at what it says. A dispute rose among them. That's a contentious argument. It means as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest, the, the, wor- the most worthy, the most excellent. And Jesus says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Jesus is making a contrast here. He's saying the world defines greatness as having titles, position, authority, how much is in your bank account, if you have hundreds of people under you that you manage. That's how the world, the culture defines greatness. And he's contrasting the world they live in with those who follow him. And he's making this difference and he's saying the, the world defines greatness as those who get to recline at the table. Because that's what they're doing. They're reclining at a table. And, and he says in verse 27, for who's the greatest? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? And he says, is it not the one who reclines at the table? He's asking that question going, according to our culture, according to our world, it's the people that get to sit at the table that are considered the great ones. But he says, not so with you. And he says, I'm among you as one who serves. You see, many people receive their significance and their approval in life from title, from position, from what they do. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not greatness. That's not greatness. He says, no, greatness to me, greatness is the one who's serving the undeserving. He's saying the great ones are the ones serving the undeserving. I'm among you as one who serves. Three times in this little conversation here that Luke records for us, he references greatness as the one who serves. You see, we, we often look at greatness as the one who is seated at the table. Jesus says, no, greatness is the one who's taken their order. Greatness is the one who serves. Now, Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to have titles or authority or positions because Jesus himself would often refer to himself as the son of man, the son of God, king of kings. He himself has a title, many titles. So he's not against titles or position of authority. And actually, if you look at verses 28 through 30, he says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones. So he's actually telling the disciples, you actually are going to have positions of authority. You actually are going to have titles. So he's not saying that having titles or position or any of that stuff is wrong or bad or evil. But what he's saying is those things cannot and nor will they bring you significance. They're they're not, to me, that's not greatness. Those things don't bring you greatness. No, instead, he says, greatness is the one who's serving the undeserving. Greatness is the one who's extending grace to those who do not deserve it. Well, what do we mean by the undeserving? 
Well, who are the undeserving in this room? You know who the undeserving are in the room with Jesus? The 12. The 12 guys seated around the table. And in a moment, Jesus is going to get up from the table. He's going to take off his outer cloak and he's going to pick up a towel. And he's going to wrap it around himself. And he's going to stoop low. And he's going to wash the dirty, grimy, stinky, smelly feet of these 12 undeserving disciples. You know why they're undeserving? Jesus just told them he's going to the cross. And who are they concerned about? Themselves. Who's the greatest? Who gets to sit with Jesus up front? Now let's remember who's seated around this table with Jesus. Remember Judas? He's moments away from betraying Jesus. Moments away from getting up from the table and selling Jesus out for money. And he's there, and Jesus is going to stoop down. He's going to wash Judas' feet. Peter is just, he's seated around the table. He's moments away from not just denying that he knows Jesus, not just doing that once, but three times Jesus washes Peter's feet. And seated at the table is Thomas. Thomas, I I can just see every time Jesus did a miracle, I don't know if he's going to happen, man. You know, he just constantly doubted. I just don't get it. I don't know. Water, wine, all this stuff. Lazarus from the grave. I don't know. I mean, I know we've seen him do stuff before. I just don't know this time. That's a pretty big... I mean, that's Thomas is the one who always doubted. And Thomas is around the table and Jesus is going to stoop low and he's going to extend grace to this, this man who often questioned him. And the scriptures tell us that just moments away after Jesus washes their feet, that every single one of them is going to abandon Jesus when he's arrested. All of them are going to run away. And Jesus knows this. He knows this. And he still stoops low and he washes their feet. But you know who else is around the table? I'm there. I'm at that table. I am undeserving of having Jesus wash my feet. My best friends are me, myself, and I. They are. They're my best friends. They, they, they really are. I'm concerned about me, what people will think of me. I'm at that table. And if you think hard, you're at that table because the scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fall short of God's worth. We're there. We're seated there. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to wash your feet. I want to wash your feet. The great ones are the ones who serve the undeserving. And Jesus lived this not only by washing their feet, but just within hours he would live this by going to the cross, providing forgiveness for the very people that were putting him on the cross. For the scriptures tell us, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, the wicked, irreverent toward God. That's you, that's me. Jesus would live and model for these disciples what true greatness looks like, extending grace to the undeserving. As I thought about this, I want to ask a couple questions that relates to Jesus' definition of greatness. Do you see yourself as undeserving of his grace? Do you see yourself as undeserving of his grace? Do you see yourself around that table? Because until you see yourself around that table, until you see yourself as needing grace, you will have a difficult time extending grace. Until you recognize that, yes, I am unworthy of having Jesus wash my feet. Another question, who's around your table? Who is it in your life that's undeserving of you extending grace to them? Who is it? 
Sometimes we think of the undeserving as the homeless or the hungry children, right? And sometimes that's true in the sense of we, we feed them and we care for them. And sometimes they're, don't take this the wrong way, they're the easier ones to extend grace to. The difficult ones to extend grace to are sometimes the people we live with who have wounded us deeply. Maybe the difficult ones to extend grace to is a parent who left. Maybe it's difficult to extend grace to the spouse who has left you or who has wounded you or to maybe a child who's grown up, who's walked away from the Lord and has just put a strain on your relationship. Sometimes those are the most difficult people to extend grace to. And you know what Jesus says? He says, serve them. He says, serve them. Them. The great ones are the ones serving the undeserving. And on his road to resurrection, Jesus says, you want to be great? Greatness is serving the undeserving. I remember as a kid, my mom would love to have her feet rubbed. I mean, that was just something she absolutely loved to, to have done. As a kid growing up, I hated it. You can imagine, I mean, it was just like, and so uh, in the evening sometimes after a long day, my mommy would be there on the couch right with her feet up and with her shoes off, socks off. And she's like, Mark, could you just rub my feet? I'm like, in my head, right? I'm like, oh, I do not want to do this at all, ever. I mean, I didn't wake up in the morning thinking, I cannot wait to rub my mom's feet, right? That's not, that was not going through my head. But we would do it, you know, out of either obedience for fear of being destroyed by our mother if we didn't do those things. But it was, it was a sense of my mom had a different, different definition of greatness than I did. So her greatness was having her feet rubbed. That was not greatness to me. All right, Jesus has a complete di- different definition of greatness. Culture says greatness, you receive your significance, your approval, through positions, titles, authority, and Jesus says, wait a second, no, 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 no. If you're a follower, I mean, you're not like that. Your greatness comes through your serving. Your greatness comes from, from serving those who are undeserving of being served. It's, greatness is extending grace to those who don't deserve it, and Jesus lived it in front of these disciples by washing their feet, and then he lived it hours later by going to the cross and providing forgiveness for the very people who would put him there. And so as I was studying this, okay, I'm going, Jesus, okay, so I get this definition of greatness. Why are you telling them this? I mean, you're just moments away from, why would you take time to help them understand true greatness and how you define greatness? Well, if you go to the Gospel of John, I believe John gives us a little bit more insight into why Jesus takes time to explain this kind of greatness to his disciples. John chapter 16, and turn there with me if you would. John chapter 16, we'll come back to Luke chapter 22 in a moment. But John chapter 16, John records for us more detail into this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples. So here we have this redefinition of greatness. The great ones are the ones serving the undeserving. And now Jesus is going to tell us, give us some insight into why he takes time to teach this, to prepare his disciples in this way for resurrection living. John chapter 16, I believe there's two reasons. There there could be more, but I believe definitely there's two reasons why Jesus took time to redefine greatness for his disciples. John chapter 16, look at verses 16 through 20. They're in the same room, same conversation, and Jesus says this, A little while, talking to his disciples, you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples are like, oh, we don't get this. What's he talking about? What, what is this that he says to us, a little while, and you'll not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? Like, you can just imagine a conversation. 
I have no clue what he's talking about, but we love you, Jesus. All right, we don't know what you're saying. And so he goes on. So they're saying this. What does he mean? Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And a little aside there, can you just imagine like, man, we really would like to ask Jesus this question, but we don't look like idiots. Like we don't understand what he's saying. And Jesus steps, he's like, so you guys want to know what I'm talking about? Like, oh man, I love it when he does, you know, just kind of like, how does he know that? It's just so cool. And so you can imagine a conversation, man, Jesus, we love it when you do that. So then here he goes, he, he begins to tell them. He says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're going to weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And Jesus is talking about, there's going to be a point when I'm on the cross, when you're going to weep, when you're going to lament, when you're going to be mournful. And I think Jesus is telling these guys what true greatness is, and here's why. Because what they're about to see Jesus go through in the next 24 hours will look nothing like greatness. It will look nothing like greatness. When they're seeing him on the cross, that, to them, that's, that's their king on the cross. That doesn't look great. In fact, it looks like the end. It looks like it's finished. And you wonder if when Jesus cried out, it is finished, if they literally thought that, that this is it. We're done. Our king is dead. And so what they're going to see Jesus go through will look nothing like greatness. It will look more like loss, defeat, and rejection. And so here Jesus knows this. And so to prepare them, he stoops low and he washes their feet. And he says, this is greatness. This is greatness. And then he's going to go to the cross and he's going to say, listen, this is greatness. And Philippians 2 describes his greatness when it says, Jesus did not consider his position as God as something to be grasped. But no, he made himself nothing And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Listen, the cross would be the greatest, one of the greatest displays of greatness the world would ever see. Jesus on the cross would be one of the greatest displays of greatness the world would ever see. Why? Because there, the greatest is serving the most undeserving. Extending grace to those who who don't deserve it. So Jesus is preparing his disciples For resurrection living, because following Jesus will look nothing like greatness to the world. It will look nothing like greatness to the world if you follow Jesus. And so Jesus wants to prepare them for what they're about to see him go through. But I think there's a second reason why Jesus reminds them of greatness and redefines it for them. is because what these disciples themselves are about to go through will feel and look nothing like greatness. Look at chapter 15 in in John 15, verse 20. He says, remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And then in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 16 of John, he says, I have said all these things to you. I'm telling you these things to keep you from falling 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 away. They will put you out of the synagogues. And for a Jew, that was just devastating. And indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Can you imagine if you're hearing this? Okay, if they're persecuting Jesus, you're telling me that they're going to persecute me? If they're going to kill us? The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. This is not jelly beans, giggles, and lollipop stuff. This is hard. Following Jesus is hard. 
And he says, they're going to do these things because they've not known the Father nor me, but I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You see, many sitting around that table with Jesus in that room would be martyred. They would be thrown in prison. They would be beaten simply because they follow Jesus. And Jesus is preparing them for life after Easter. And he wants to remind them that, listen, true greatness, it may not have the position, it may not have the title in this this day and age now, in the world you live in now, but listen, true greatness is stooping low and serving the undeserving the way I have served you. That's true greatness. Andrew and I get the privilege of doing a lot of pre-marriage counseling with couples. And of the five sessions we do, only one of them is spent on the actual ceremony. Four of the sessions are spent preparing for life after the ceremony. When you go to college, all right, and you go through college, your four years or so of college are not preparing you for just the graduation ceremony. Those four years of college are preparing you for life after the ceremony. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here in this conversation with his disciples. He's preparing them not just for what they're going to see on the cross or what they're going to see through his resurrection, but he's preparing them for life after Easter. He's preparing them for resurrection living. He says, serving the undeserving is resurrection living, even when it's hard. And following Jesus is hard. It's going to involve pain. It will involve suffering. It will involve heartache, being misunderstood at times. And it'll be difficult to keep on forgiving those who keep hurting you and wounding you. And Jesus says, listen, it will be difficult. But as you do those things, as you serve your spouse, as you serve your kids, as you continue to love them and serve them, you need to understand something. That is Greatness. That's greatness. Following Jesus will look nothing like greatness to the world. So you need to understand what true greatness is. And so as I look at this and I read this over and over and I go, Jesus, how do you do this? How does someone that follows you continue to love and extend grace to those who've betrayed us, who's denied us, who's hurt us? How do we do that? I think Jesus reveals to us. He says in verse 28, back in Luke chapter 22, he says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. Luke chapter 22 now. Verse 29, and he says, I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm not quite sure what that last part of that verse means. But here's what I think Jesus is doing. Look at what he says here. Verse 29, I bequeath, that's what literally what it means. I bequeath to you a kingdom. I am putting you in my will, Jesus says. <laughs> you are in my will, and my will involves, includes my inheritance, you being part of my kingdom, sitting at my table. That's, that's, what, you, that's what you have. That's, that's, you have that. And the way Jesus states this, he states it as a fact. It's already done. They just haven't possessed it physically yet, but he's promising this to them. He's saying, you're in the world. This is who you are because you're mine. You have this. You're, you have my inheritance. I'm, I'm giving you this. You already have it. It's yours. And you may not experience that here in this life, but know that coming when you're with me, this is the life you will have. This is what you have if you're mine. 
And Jesus states it as a fact. And Paul tells us that that happens. Jesus puts us in his will in the moment, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. He says, in that moment, when you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Listen, if you're here and a disciple of Jesus, and you've repented of your sins and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that moment that that happened, you were put in his will. And all that's his is yours. His kingdom is seated at his table. And Jesus is saying, listen, that's who you are. That's what you have. And when you get and you understand who you are and what you have because of my grace, you can serve the undeserving because you're not serving them to get something. You're not serving them to get your, your um, significance or approval. No, you already have all that in me. So now you can serve them with no strings attached because who I have made you to be and the promises that I've given you. I was thinking about this in a way to to illustrate this. And how many of you have seen Star Wars The Force Awakens? All right. If you haven't seen that, I'm going to completely spoil it for you. Okay. So here here it is. All right. There's this girl, Rey. Right. And she lives most of her life not understanding that she's a Jedi. Right? She, she kind of lives this life not understanding that, that she's a Jedi. And then as you continue to watch the movie, you realize, whoa, she's a Jedi. Right? And then she begins to realize that she's a Jedi. And then she begins to live this life as like, yeah, I'm this Jedi. I've got like this Jedi stuff, this Jedi skills. And now she begins to live, and we still have to wait and see the end of the story here, uh, or the... 15th part of the story, and, and she begins to live out this, this life of who she is as a Jedi because now she knows who she is and what she has. And Jesus is saying, guys, listen, you can serve the undeserving. You can extend grace to, don't, to those who don't deserve it because you're mine. You have my kingdom. I've given you all this, not because you deserved it, not because you did it. You're just, in moments, you're going to betray me, doubt me, deny me. I've given it to you simply because you've surrendered your life to me. That's all. You have it all. And so Jesus is saying, listen, what empowers us with the strength for living this kind of greatness flows out of the grace that he has given us. Man, this is the difference the gospel makes. The gospel makes an incredible difference in how we serve people. Completely, because... As followers of Jesus, Jesus is not so with you. You don't serve people to get your significance or to get something. You serve people just completely because of the grace, out of the flow of grace that I've given you and who you are in me. That's why you, we have got to get a hold on all that Jesus has done for us and all that he has given to us. Because it's out of that, who he has made us to be through his grace, that we can be great serving the undeserving. And if you're here this morning and you have not received Jesus Christ... You have not been freed to serve. Boy, I want to encourage you to consider right now turning from your sin and receiving Jesus as your Savior and receiving that significance that only He can provide. All the acceptance you could ever imagine becoming placed into His inheritance. And if you are here, Christian, listen, we've got to get this. We've got to wake up and realize all that Jesus has given us because of his grace. And when we do, then we can turn around, we can wake up in the morning, we can serve that person that maybe has wounded us, we can serve those kids, we can serve that boss, we can serve whoever has betrayed us, denied us, or hurt us, not in our own strength, but through his strength. For Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made powerful in weakness.
So here Jesus, hours before his cross, hours before his resurrection, he prepares his disciples for resurrection living. And he says, you need to understand something. You need to understand that greatness is serving the undeserving. You need to know that because following me is not going to look anything like greatness to the world. It's not. And so we say, well, how do we do this, Jesus? And Jesus says, just remember what I've given you. Just remember what I've promised you. The moment that you received me, I've given you everything. You have all you need to serve the undeserving. You have all you need to live and be great. And so this morning, I want to ask you a question. Who's the undeserving in your life? Who do you need to extend grace to? Who? Maybe it's someone from years ago. And you've just been holding on to this bitterness, to this anger, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a father or a mother or a brother. I I don't know. But Jesus says, listen, resurrection living is serving the undeserving. It's stooping low to extend grace to those who don't deserve it. And the only way you're ever able to do this is when you understand the grace that you've received in Jesus. That's it. That's it. And so the challenge for us this morning is this. The challenge for, that I want to give us this morning is for us to pick up a towel. To pick up a towel. There are towels here. There are towels at two chairs in the back. And in the moment, we're going to sing, and I'm going to ask the band to come at this time. And as we sing, I want to encourage you to think, and I want you to maybe take some time to pray and say, Jesus, who are you telling me to extend grace to? I know in my mind. There's a particular person that immediately comes to my mind that I know Jesus is wanting me to extend grace to, and it is not going to be easy. It's not. But Jesus, in preparing us for resurrection living, says, listen, you need to understand greatness, and you need to understand grace, because it's through my grace that you're able to serve the undeserving. So let me ask you a question. Whose feet do you need to wash? Whose feet Do you need to wash? Who do you need to extend grace to this morning? Stand with me. Jesus never said it would be easy. He never said it was impossible either. And the way you pick up a towel and extend that grace and serve the undeserving is by looking to Jesus. And let me just say this. Greatness is Jesus wrapping himself up in skin to come rescue us then wrapping around himself a towel to serve us, then wrapping himself around a cross to die for us, then unwrapping himself from the tomb to liberate us. That is greatness. And so as we sing this song as our final song, I want to challenge you this morning to pick up a towel, to pick up a towel and to wash the feet of the person that Jesus is bringing to mind. That washing feet may be literal, It may mean this week you're actually going to wash that person's feet. Or maybe it's writing them a letter. Maybe it's expressing a a gift of tangible love. I don't know. But how does Jesus want you to wash their feet to extend grace to them this morning? As you do, we need to understand that to Jesus, that is beautiful. And that is greatness. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to us to live for us what greatness truly is. And it's through him that we can extend this grace to others in resurrection living. And I pray, Father, that you would move through your spirit right now, bring people to our minds that you are saying extend grace to them. 
And may we as a church pick up the towel. That's the challenge, to pick up the towel and extend grace serving the undeserving. Amen.